Uh, tonight we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 5. If you have a Bible, let's open up there. And I, and I will have to say this about tonight's study, that it has to deal with sexual purity. And so, I don't know, maybe if you have little kids, uh, this might, I don't know, it might be a little bit too much for them. I'd say it's probably a PG-13. I mean, we're going to stick to the Bible, so it's not going to be crazy bizarre, but there is aspects to it that uh, might be a little intense. And so in Proverbs chapter 5, we're going to see in verses 1 through 2, just the exhortation to listen to God. Listen to God, to heed his word. It's the, the, God, the counsel of your heavenly father. And so number two, after listening to God, is to flee the immoral, to run away, run away from that immoral man, run away from that immoral woman as fast as you can and as far as you can. Maybe you're out there and you got somebody that you're thinking about a little bit too much or somebody that you've been hanging out with a little bit too much at work and you know it's not right and they're not a Christian or whatever the case may be. Uh, we're going to see that uh, Solomon says to, to flee the immoral. And then number three is to, to love your spouse, to really, truly love your spouse. One of the things that we always talk about in this church is that the way you conquer one passion is with a greater passion. And uh, when you look at your spouse, and, and I know for me, I mean, I'll never forget one day I had a dream about my wife, and I still have that dream in my, in my eyes, just her, her beautiful hair and her dimples and her eyes and her smile and everything about her. And uh, I think about that a lot. It helps me a lot. You know, uh, we're going to see that when you're married, that, that's how it should be. Your love and your romance should grow. It should grow. And so that's one way that we can stay away from sexual impurity is to love our spouse. And then number four in verses 20 through 23, we're going to see ultimately it comes down to whether or not we fear the Lord. And I pray that you do. But as we go through today, my prayer is that this study, you know, I, I know this, man, being a Christian, maybe you're going to stay pure just because you're a Christian. And I praise God for that. You know, but, but who knows? Maybe you'll stay pure because you tuned in tonight and you heard this study. And maybe my prayer is that this study will be used by God when you're out there one day and you're in the midst of some crazy temptation that this study, God's word, will be used by the Holy Spirit so that you would you know, double check, you would have a second thoughts and it would preserve you in the kingdom of God, and in your family. And so I, I just thank God for the Proverbs uh, 5, 6, and 7 talk a lot about this issue. But notice what we read here. First of all, listen to God. In verse 1, he says, My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Lend your ear to my understanding that you may preserve discretion and your lips may keep knowledge. Again, when you look at this, and we see this a lot in the Proverbs, another personal parental plea for the cherished child to pay attention, pay attention to what this says, to honestly, earnestly listen to the wisdom of God's word uh, so that you might, it says right there, become an understanding person. Literally in the Hebrew, he tells him to bow the ear so that you can keep it yourself 
and communicate it to others. Notice again, we read there in verse 2, that you may preserve discretion and your lips may keep knowledge. And so it's not just you taking it in, it's also you giving it out. We have to be you know, able to pass that on to the next generation. The NLT puts it this way, and your lips will express what you've learned. And so not only, and it's kind of cool, I remember Peter was telling me about some of the guys that he works with, some of the younger guys, and you know, they, you know how it is at work, if you're in the world, you know, they'll tell you, hey, check out that chick over there. I remember when I was in uh, Vons, when I worked there, I started working at 17 as a, in the supermarket, and I remember whenever there was a pretty girl that would come into the store, you know, all the guys, man, the radars would go up, and they would say, hey, go, you know, check out, you know, aisle 12 or whatever, you know. That's the way it is, right? And so it's kind of cool. Uh, Peter, where he works at, you know, he would tell us stories in the men's uh, prayer group about how he would tell these guys that that's wrong. You know, that, that you need to stay pure to the Lord sexually and pure to your family. And, and that's the message. What happens is when this resonates in your heart, not only will you stay pure, but God will use your lips to help others stay pure. And just think what a difference it is when you speak up. And you might be the one to save that marriage. Because you spoke up to stay pure. You might be the one to, to save those children because we know the consequences of adultery. And so what he's saying right here is, is listen to God. Pay attention so that you can not only practice it, but you can also preach it. That your lips would keep knowledge. Pursue wisdom, perceive wisdom, practice wisdom, preserve wisdom, and pass on wisdom. That's one of the most important responsibilities we have as parents and as God's people. And so he says, listen to God. And then secondly, he says, flee the immoral. Look what you read here in verse three. He says, for the, the lips of an immoral woman drip honey. And her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. He says, hey, tell your children, tell your sons with your own lips about the lips of an immoral woman. You know, and you guys, and I know you're out there, you love your children uh, there are no words really to articulate how much we want their lives to be blessed. And, and one of the things that will blast away those blessings is the immoral man or the immoral woman. And, and here Solomon, he, he mentions her lips. And I have a hunch that the lips are appealing not only to the ears, but I'll bet you also uh, to the eyes, right? Because men are visual and they can't help but notice the dark red lipstick or, or the lip gloss or maybe she got a lip job, you know, and whatever. They can't help but see it, right? And she's beautiful and then she sticks her tongues out and she licks those lips uh, looking for her next victim. He says, watch out for that girl. You know, it says there in verse 3 that her, that her mouth is smoother than oil. She's a, a smooth operator. And of course, you guys know it's not just for girls, right? The men are like this. I think more men are smooth operators, right? They know exactly what to say. They have all the right words. They know all the right moves. And so, you know, Psalm is saying, be careful. 
You know, they have a saying that says the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. And there's probably a lot of truth to that, right? But the Proverbs say that the way to a man's heart is through the ego of his ears. When that lady comes and she has just the right words to say, Solomon says, watch out for her lips. Watch out for her lips. And so we read in, in Proverbs, it's interesting, in chapter 7, verse 5, that the seductress flatters with her words. And so she comes to you and she tells you you look great. She's telling you you've been working out. You know, she's uh, telling you a lot of things that you want to hear. You're so godly. And, and, and that all that is is her lips are dripping with flattery. Be careful of flattery. There's a saying that said, flatterers look like friends just as wolves look like dogs. So be careful with that kind of stuff, right? David spoke about this in Psalm 55, 21. It says, The words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. And so it's kind of cool, you guys. I don't know how you guys are. Myself, growing up, very, very, very gullible. You know, I probably still am to a certain extent, to be honest. But being a Christian has definitely helped me a lot just to weigh things out. You know, not that I'm uh, thinking everybody, you know, is, is, is insincere, but you just take it slower and you watch and you pray. And that's how we need to be. You know, you got the guy and he's coming with the smooth words and the smooth moves. Okay, you just pray about these things. God needs to give us grace to distinguish between sincerely said, God-glorifying compliments and full-on satanic seductions. And that's what Solomon is telling his son, Miho. That girl comes and she says all the right things. You know, be careful. And that could be for you if you're married. That could be for you if you're single. You think, oh, I finally found the right gal because, you know, she speaks so well of me. Solomon says, uh, be careful. We know the enemy's agenda in John 10.10 is to steal, kill, and destroy, that there's this war uh, against our soul. And sometimes, you guys, to be honest, I feel that that sex is his nuclear weapon. You know, I honestly, I, I see that. It's so effective in destroying families, in destroying ministries, in destroying destinies. That's the power of sexual temptation, ravishing and ruining the call upon a man or woman's life. You know, last night when I was studying this passage, I had my earphones on because my wife was listening to something else. And so I just figured, you know what, I'm going to study a little more. And so I threw my earphones on. And as I'm going through this study, and i got to share this with you guys. I think it's okay to share. As I'm going through this study... I hear a song that one of our worship leaders used to do. And it's a worship leader that used to serve here at this church who left his wife, who left his children, and, and who has gone on to be with some other gal. And then he, he kind of you know, sends me a message eventually, and he says certain things, you know, like, hey, I'm sorry. Dude, if you're sorry then get out of that relationship and get back with the Lord. But, but the thing that just got me so, it hit me so hard, 
is as I'm reading this, as I'm studying this, this song that this worship leader used to do that was so anointed by God, it came on and it just broke my heart. And then I started thinking about all the years and all the men and all the women that I have seen fall in sexual sin. And that's why this is so important for us to understand. You know, what we see here, look, notice what we read in verse 4. It says, in the end, she is bitter as wormwood. That's gall. That's poison. She's sharp as a two-edged sword, the Bible says. You know, and in, in one sense, you know, there's the passing pleasures of sin. Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about that. But then there's the end. That's what he says right there. In the end, there's eternity, right? There's wormwood, it's gall, it's poison. He says in verse 5 that her feet go down to death. Her steps lay hold of hell. Lest you ponder her path of life, her ways are unstable. You do not know them. Therefore, hear me now, my children, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Remove your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house. You know, Proverbs 7, 27, it says something similar. It says, her house is the way to hell, descending to the chambers of death. And, and the Lord, he speaks to his children. He says, do not depart from the word of God. Here he says, but do depart from the ungodly woman, the ungodly man. You know, set up biblical boundaries, holy hedges. Uh, be careful in your conversation. Never justify any type of ungodly flirtation. He says, remove your way from her. And, and so that, to me, it means run like Joseph. It means that sometimes... Some sisters, they might think that you're distant. They might think that you're not as nice as as you should be. But all you're trying to do is to be a man of God. And you have to have those hedges. You know, Paul gave the same advice to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.22, where he says, flee also youthful lusts. And so, I don't know, you know, this is between you and the Lord. You know if you're getting too close to the fire, you know, I'll be honest with you. Like for me, it could be uh, an image that I see on a billboard. It could be uh, something that's going on on television. It could be a movie. It could be, I mean, you name it. Me walking in, in, the, in the morning and whatever. There's girls everywhere, things that, like that. You know, the Lord always tells me, hey, you got your eyes on me. Do not feed the flesh. You know, we always talk about that, right? There's, there's two lions in, inside of us. And which lion wins? It's the one that we feed the most. And so you feed your your soul. You feed the inner man, the word of God, prayer, fellowship. You're serving God. That's your life. Then you know what? It's, it's, you're going to have victory in this area. But if you're feeding your flesh, if you're checking out chicks, if you have no problem watching that type of movie or that type of things on, on television, I mean, the things on television, they're not much more discreet less discreet or more discreet than the things in the movies right and so you have to even filter all those things out and so what we find right here he's saying hey remove your way far from her run like joseph did in genesis 39 6 through 12 proverbs 7 25 says something interesting it says do not let your heart turn aside to her ways do not stray into her 
paths. And so it, it happens in the heart. You know, don't let your heart turn aside. It's not just something going on on the outside physically. It takes place on the inside, emotionally, right? Spiritually. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew 5, 28, but I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so that's where it begins. That's where affairs start. You know, I, I was thinking about one of the prayers that my wife prays for me a lot, and I thank God for that. I think a large part of husbands uh, staying pure is going to be this, the, the, the beauty of their wife praying for them and, and other things that we're going to talk about later. And, of course, it works both ways. And that's why, let's just say you're watching and, uh, and you're, you're thinking, well, I'll never fall sexually. Well, number one, that you, you just moved to the front of the line because you made yourself, like, uh, overconfident. But, but also, the, the tendency is, yes, most of the time that men will be the ones to fall into adulterous relationship if they're married. That's what the statistics say, although the ladies are starting to catch up. But even if you're out there and you're a wife and you're thinking, ah, I'll, I'll never fall, I, I don't know. I, I would say this, that this study is important because you are instrumental in, in keeping your husband from falling how God will use your life. And that's why this study is so important for you as well. Because my wife, she prays for me, and she prays that I'll have dove's eyes. And I know what she means by that, because if I'm not mistaken, and, and I, of course there's always those anomalies, but doves, what they do is they stay together, man, through their whole life. You know, And it's kind of cool when you think of that, even in the animal kingdom. And so, praying for each other, Lord, let us have dove's eyes, eyes only for our spouse. Notice what we read next in verse 9. He says, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the cruel one. Lest aliens be filled with your wealth and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And, and you mourn at last when your flesh and your body are consumed. And say, how I have hated instruction, and my heart despised correction. I have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to those who instructed me. I was on the verge of total ruin in the midst of the assembly and congregation. You see, the lips and lies of an immoral woman will take away all that is honorable to you. You know, and I don't know, nowadays I know people, it's different than it used to be. There was a time when like honor meant something, you know. But now we see people don't really care. They live for the moment. But what he's saying right here is interesting. He says in verse 9, lest you give your honor to others. And your name will be mud. You will be famous for your foolishness. It says right there that your years will be cruel your tears will be constant. You'll suffer financially, physically. You'll get hit with the dollars and diseases. And let me tell you, Solomon says sexual sin is extremely expensive. 
You know, even just the whole concept of when, when people are not really doing things God's way, and I know this is kind of an interesting thing, but even the whole concept of, you know, you have a kid over there, a kid over there, next thing you know, you're paying child support, you know, and for every child, whatever, I don't know, 20% of your income goes in that direction, and here you are, you're married over here. He's saying, hey, all of that, there are things that will suffer, you'll suffer it in life. You know, verse 14, I like what it says in the NLT. It says, I have come to the brink of utter ruin, and now I must face public disgrace. Now, I I was thinking about that uh, there in verse 14. I was on the verge of total ruin. Now, you can read that in a couple of different ways. You can read that in one sense, saying that you know, this is dangerous. Uh, I, I'm on the edge of, of the Grand Canyon. I, I can fall over and die forever. And I think there is supposed to be that connotation, that communication. But I also think this in verse 14. He says, I was on the verge of total ruin. And it also means that you're not ruined yet. That, that if there's repentance... If there is a change of heart, if there is a, an absolute surrender to God, then God can restore any person. You know, maybe you're out there and this is something you're struggling with now or you struggled with in the past and the enemy has beat you up with this. You know, I was, interest, I was uh, reading Psalm 51. It was interesting when I was reading it, how David and everything that he went through, the adultery and the murder and everything, it says right there that God's, he's praying, he's saying, and God, if I confess my sins and as I come to you, you can wash me whiter than snow. And so God is able to cleanse. God is able to give us a new start. God is able to give us that life still. You know, it might be not the same. It's kind of redirected in a certain way, but it's still God. You know, when you're there, on the verge of total ruin. But whatever you do, don't go any farther. What I would say is today, repent, get right with God, and watch what he does. You know, sometimes people will point to David and they say, well, see, it's not that bad. David was a man after God's own heart, and and he fell and he remained king over the nation of Israel. But they forget the consequences even of forgiven sin. Watch, if you would, turn to 2 Samuel real quick. 2 Samuel chapter 12. And, and as Nathan is, is dealing with David and he's telling him the consequences of even his forgiven sin, notice what he says there in verse 9 of 2 Samuel chapter 12. He says, Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, You have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now, therefore, here it is. The sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah, the Hittite, to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the sun. And so David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. 
you shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child who is born to you shall surely die. And then Nathan departed to his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and it became ill. And again, the only reason that we're talking about this is because sometimes people will say, and they say, David did the same thing, and he was a man of God. But please, whatever you do, do not forget the consequences that he had to pay because of the fact that he entered into sexual sin. You know, it's interesting when you look at it, the sword would never depart. There would be adversaries from his own family. His wives would be raped publicly. The enemies of God were given fuel for their fires of blasphemy. His child would die. And according to verse 8 of 2 Samuel, God had so much more for David, the Bible says, but he ruined his reward. Bottom line, the plan for the life of David was radically changed for the worse. And so for that, I'm saying we can't play games with God. We can't. You know, Samson is another poster child for this sin. And you read his story in Genesis, I mean, Judges chapter 13, uh, all the way through chapter 16. And here's this guy, man, so strong, so anointed, uh, missed the power of the Lord, called by God to deliver Israel. Think about that. What a difference he would have made. What, what a difference you can make. You know, and I don't know. I mean, there might be someone out there who has been dabbling with pornography or looking at images or not really, you know, staying pure in their sexual life. And yet you might be Samson. You might be the one that God wants to use to deliver our nation. You know, that was Samson. Think about it. But because of the fact that he could not control this area of his life, like I said earlier, to me, sexual sin is like the nuclear weapon in the arsenal of the enemy. Samson, it says, only began to deliver Israel. You know, it's interesting how you read his name in Judges 13 through 16, and the very next time you find his name is in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, meaning that he was saved. He was but what we find is that he did not discover, he did not really have that plan of God that he had for him completed in his life. In Proverbs chapter 7 and verse 26, it says, we're speaking of the immoral woman, for she has cast down many wounded, and all who were slain by her were strong men. And so, number one, listen to God. Number two, Flee the immoral. And then number three, love your spouse. You know, the way we conquer one passion is with a greater passion. And so we read in verse 15, it says, Drink water from your own cistern and running water from your own well. Should the fountains be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be only your own and not for strangers. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. As a loving deer and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured with her love. 
You know, for, for those of you who, who are married, um, I love what we read there in verse 18, how it says that we should be blessed, rejoice with the wife of our youth. And what a beautiful thing, you know, when you see that happen, when couples are centered on Christ and the joy that they get from Jesus in rejoicing with the wife of their youth. You know, for those of you who are single, called to be married one day, how important it is to wait on the Lord. You know, just think, your future husband or wife is out there somewhere. And so you pray for them. You stay pure for them. Uh, chances are, in all honesty, if you're promiscuous prior to getting married, then there will be a greater temptation to be unfaithful after you're married. You know, some of them might say, well, adultery is only applicable to those who are married. But no, when, when you're single, what you're doing is you're committing adultery in, in to the future of your marriage. And so this is why we have to stay pure. Now, again, I don't want to sound uh, disgraceful in any way, but we need to make sure that we have our hearts right. We can't be like the, the dogs on the streets. We need to wait, stay pure, drink water from our own cistern. Only wait for the one who is destined for you. And then what we find is there will be joy. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4 says, Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers God will judge. You, know, you think about water, right? And I don't know, I know nowadays, you know, we got these floods, dams are breaking. I mean, it's crazy when water is not controlled, here we see uh, Solomon mentioned the cisterns and the wells and the springs and the streams and the fountains. And all that is aspects of controlling water, keeping it from being dissipated on the streets. Now, what you do, guys, and I, and I encourage you, is invest in your marriage. Uh, for some reason, guys have this mentality that, you know, I'll win her uh, to me. And once I get her, and sometimes it even applies to once we're married, then I'm kind of done. That challenge is over. I've conquered. And now you move on to your next challenge. And a lot of times that next challenge might be a hobby that you might have or something that you're interested in for your own benefit. It could be your career and you pour yourself into that. When I think as a Christian, as husbands need to pour themselves into their wives, and wives, I think it's reciprocal. I think it needs to go in that direction as well. You know, because when you're there and your love is growing and it's not just, you know, a spiritual love, so to speak. It's not, you know, just agape. It, it's phileo. It's friends. It's storge. It's family. It's eros. It's romance. When all those things, they grow, what a blessing of a life that is. How you rejoice with the wife of your youth. And it doesn't matter where you're at, you guys. You're all, well, no, we've been married for a long time and, you know, it's kind of too late and we're kind of set in our ways. And all I know is, is I've been married for a long time too and I, the Lord is always challenging me. Hey, Manny, you know, you need to do this. Um, for some reason, we husbands, we don't show our wives or give our wives a lot of times. We don't just give them the full-on time and attention that they deserve. And what we see right here is he's saying, no, you guys, pour your life 
into your wife. Be satisfied with her. You know, the, he talks, uh, in all honesty, he talks about the sexual intimacy that takes place here, right? And that has to be healthy in our life. First Corinthians chapter 7, it says that wives are not to deprive their husbands and husbands are not to deprive their wives. You know, they have to meet each other's needs, right? And so, you know, you're in that situation. Paul says every once in a while, if you want to, you can give yourselves over to fasting and prayer. Maybe there'll be a, whatever, a little bit of time when you're not engaged in that activity, but not for too long, lest Satan come and tempt you. And so that needs to be a, a healthy in your life, the sexual intimacy when you're married. But the thing about it is this, is that that can only be healthy if the rest of your relationship is right. Sexual intimacy is a reflection of your overall relationship. And so this is our best, our best defense. This is what God is calling us to, to, to be enraptured with her love. That, that word enraptured right there, it's literally, it speaks of being intoxicated. And, and that's where we should be. We should be intoxicated. We should be exhilarated, as the New American Standard says. We should be captivated, as the NIV says. And that's what happens when we not only fall in love, but we grow in love. And it all comes together, you know? It's interesting here how Solomon uses the word drink. He says for us to drink. Notice again there in verse 15, drink water from your own cistern. And, and, and I, I was thinking about this. You guys probably know that Jesus' first miracle was to turn water to wine at a wedding feast. In John chapter 2, it talks about that. And I like what Wiersbe said about that. He said, The adulterer watches the river turn into a sewer, but the faithful husband sees the water become wine. He said, I think it's significant that Jesus turned water into wine at a wedding feast as though he were giving us an object lesson concerning the growing delights of marriage. When a husband and wife are faithful to the Lord and to each other, neither of them will look for satisfaction anywhere else. If they love each other and seek to please each other and the Lord, their relationship will be one of deepening joy and satisfaction. Again, the, the adulterer, the unfaithful, sees this spring of river turn into a sewer, while the one who does things God's way and invests in their marriage, invests in their spouse, will see the water turn to wine. And that's the way it should be. As you grow older, your love should grow deeper. If we fill our hearts with the one that God made for us, then there will be absolutely no room for anyone else in that room, if you know what I mean. And keep in mind, God sees everything that's going on. You know, I, I know we're, we're living in a time today where people, you know, they, they probably, I know for those of you who are Christians, you understand the wisdom of this, man. But the world, oh man, they see it completely different. Uh, I was reading uh, today, and I probably shouldn't even read stuff like this, but they were talking about all the famous adulterers uh, throughout history, and there's just so many out there. But the sad part about it is a lot of our so-called heroes are adulterers. And, and to me, it kind of broke my heart. 
I was thinking even of uh, someone like Benjamin Franklin, and you might you know, have a $100 bill, and they got his picture on there. But he was unfaithful to his wife. He was away from her for 18 years. He even wrote a famous letter on how to choose a mistress. And, and yet we esteem him. We esteem Madonna. We esteem Whoopi Goldberg. You know, and I was thinking, I saw her on, on TV the other day, and everybody likes her or View or whatever a lot of people do. And yet she's open about the fact that if that guy over there is married, I'm okay to be with him as long as he's okay with it. See, and these are the people that, that we look to. And there are many politicians, and they put them on these pedestals, and they are adulterers. Now, I'm not judging them because I know that we can't judge those who don't know the Lord. But I am saying this, that we have to be so careful that we, you know, don't come to that place where we, you know, just look the other way. No, this is holy, sacred matrimony. It's being faithful until the day you die. Because if you start buying into stuff like that, the next thing you know, you might be right behind them. The Lord knows their heart. Bottom line is, we need to come to that place of repentance. God sees everything, too. Notice what we read in closing, how we are to fear the Lord. In verse 20, he says, For, for why should you, my son, be enraptured by an immoral woman and be embraced in the arms of a seductress? For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. His own iniquities entrap the wicked man, and he is caught in the cords of his sin. He shall die for lack of instruction, and in the greatness of his folly he shall go astray. You know, you're, you might be thinking, well, I didn't get a disease, and I don't have to pay child support. You know, you might be thinking uh, everybody esteems me and I got all the honor and I didn't suffer really any consequences of my sexual sin. And, and here uh, Solomon says, yeah, but one day you will stand before God. How God sees everything. And so he's saying, why should this happen to you, my son? You have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. You have the word of God that has been spoken to you. Why should this happen to you? When you think about it, God, he, he sees everything. And we need to know this. Uh, it's so important because if not, then what he says right there in verse 22, his own iniquities entrap the wicked man. Now, I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but um, uh, deers, they say deers, a lot of deers die in Illinois Apparently, uh, 17,000 deers are hit every year in Illinois, and many of them die, and they have a peak where they die in the fall of the year. And the reason that happens is because that is the mating season, and it's during that time when their guard is down that they end up getting killed. And that's what can happen to us as Christians. I know for a fact it can happen to anybody. So we have to make sure that we, we guard our heart. Last week, Henry went over that passage in Proverbs 4.23, to keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. 
guard your heart. Is there anyone there that doesn't belong? Are there any weeds of wickedness that, that need to be pulled? Is there any lusts that are lingering? Pull it out, you guys, because we're dealing with things that are deadly. God sees everything. And it's interesting how it says even there, for the ways of man, in verse 21, are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The Hebrew word there is the same word used in Daniel chapter 5, where it says, you've been weighed in the balance and found wanting. How God ponders, how God weighs, how God sees the way that some men don't have any problem looking at things that they should not be looking at. God sees all of that. And what he's saying is, man, you've got to have that understanding. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13 says, There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And so, if we're not careful, verse 22 says that our sins, well, they've been used by the enemy so that we get trapped and we get caught and then we die. And so I know this, um, you guys and men, uh, earlier we read 2 Timothy 2.22 where it says, flee youthful lusts. One thing I learned is not just for the youth, huh? Huh, guys? I was talking to one man, he's in his 70s, and he says he still struggles with this. So it's never an area in a man's life where he has now arrived. It is always an area of our life that we need to maintain because it can happen to anyone. And if it happens to you, we're going to beat you up. No, I'm just joking. We're going to, we probably should, huh, threaten you somehow, some way. My prayer has always been, Lord, um, guard the men of this church, please, Lord. But it's between you and the Lord. I mean, we can't do that for you. We can pray for you. We can preach it to you. But it's something that has to be real in your own heart. The, the ironic thing about this, and, and we'll close with this tragic truth, is that of all men that fell, Solomon fell. He's the one that wrote this. And we read about him in Nehemiah thirteen twenty six, where it says, Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations there was no king like him who was beloved of his God. And God made him king over all Israel, Nevertheless, pagan woman caused even him to sin. And in 1 Kings 11, verse 3, this is why it says, And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. And we've seen it happen over the years. How many pastors have preached it and yet violated? So many have fallen too many to count. And so my prayer is that God would continue to use his word. And if you're out there and if it's something that you find yourself struggling with now or maybe one day in the future, that your heart would belong to God and that your heart would belong to your spouse.